0: Shalom Aleichem, welcome to The Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Nora Paley, the co-editor of the recently published A Grace Paley Reader, Stories, Essays, and Poetry, a collection of the work by her mother, writer Grace Paley. Nora spent her childhood in New York City and Greenwich Village, describing it as, quote, At that time, it was like a village in many ways. I loved the kid life in the streets. In late teens, I was in New Hampshire and then Vermont. My mother married Bob Nichols, who is from Vermont, whose father had built a tiny house, no basement there. My interest in the natural world, previous life in environmental science, somehow led me to a private practice in somatics, primarily dealing with injury or movement problems. Nora lives with her children in Vermont. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Nora.
1: Thank
0: you. Um, And thank you for bringing this amazing collection to publication. I wanted to start with, if I may, (laughs) the books afterward, in which you write, who Grace Paley was and that she was my mother are naturally inseparable for me. That is the luck I carry now. That is the quote afterward. So her experiences, your mother, the writer Grace Paley, seem to weave, or maybe safe to say, are central to her work. I wondered as a daughter um, if you can Talk to us a little bit about Grace Paley, the mother, the writer.
1: Um, so, so you you mean my experience with growing up with her, yeah, and her, it, li- her life,
0: yeah, that time? Is that yeah, what you're yeah, and and also um, sort of how it informs your understanding of her work, and and also how it maybe weaves its way into her work.
1: Sure. Okay. Um, well, um, let's see. So um as you mentioned in the introduction, our life in uh, Greenwich village at the time was it was very much um, um a, a neighborhood where people either knew each other or recognized each other in the street and that was true for the children. We had a lot of freedom as children, which I don't think children have anymore um, i mean I mean I would take the subway when I was seven and if i I would just go under the turnstile. That was normal. Um, Maybe not for everyone, but for at least in our neighborhood. (laughs) Um, And I'd get lost, and that was okay, too. You know, um, so uh, I think talking to my mother about that later in her life made her very anxious. But, you know, times had changed, and she was older as well. But at the time, that's what I remember. Um, My mother's life was... Uh, was very much in the park, Washington Square Park I'm talking about. Uh, she met a lot of her friends, there, and which is still common, that mothers get to know each other because of the age of their children. That happened to me as well. Um, so she spent a lot of time with those women, and she began to write about women. And I think she says this in a number of places, that uh, there wasn't, that kind of writing, and she didn't, you know, it, it didn't seem like women's lives were important in the in the 50s uh, to write about. That is, mm-hmm. and uh, um, so so our, our lives were. Uh, most most of the women that, not all, but most of the women moms that we knew were single mothers. And in fact, I was embarrassed as a child that I had a father. That's how <laughs> many. I lied about it once, I remember. I I remember it probably because I felt so guilty towards my father. (laughs) I I had lied him out of existence. Um, But, um, and because the village was, you know, people who had come in from other places, like the faraway Bronx, and had migrated there, and a lot of them were artists, and um, different different ways of living. than maybe their families
0: had expected. I don't know. Um. It, it it also seems that this, you know, reading through the collection, that it was a reminder that Grace Pahey lived through interesting times. Um, you know, she was a daughter of immigrant parents. Right. She was a woman entering adulthood in a time of what I think is safe to say it was uh, tremendous social activism, involvement. I wonder if you think she was aware at the time that her work would provide us with this sort of chronicle of these times, both through the characters and the situations in the stories and as well as the essays?
1: I think what she was aware of was telling the story of her parents' generation. I mean, that was, you know, when I was little, and you can see this in the earlier stories that she wrote when she was younger, uh, she was very much about um, what she heard growing up um, with her immigrant parents who were, you know, were very political. Uh, my, my grandfather had been uh, in Siberia and was released only because the czar had a son and pardoned everyone under 21. And my grandmother, I believe, was the same age and had been in exile. So this was normal for her, you know, this life was, was normal for her in, in her neighborhood. Uh, My grandfather later, when I knew him as an old man, was uh, somewhat conservative. I I don't mean Republican. I mean Mm -hmm. relative to his early life in Russia when he came over. But they were always idealistic um, and extremely moral people. And that's what I came to associate with Judaism. You know, I I didn't know anything about the religion at all, but I, I just thought it was Kind of um, a bunch of people who were very ethical and moral. That's, that's really what I knew as a child. Um, and, and so I, my mother wanted to tell their stories a lot. Her her aunt who um, who never married and lived with her brother her whole life, and all these different people and the stories that they told. Um, I think in the in in the collection that I just edited, she there's an essay on teaching, and she talks about telling. For students to t- talk to the oldest person about their memory of the oldest person they knew, because old people don't have time to tell unimportant stories. So, um, so I think I think that's what she knew that she wanted to tell that story. Now, the story of her life with with uh, the women that she knew. I don't think she I don't think she expected it to be. Um, I don't think she expected it to be a whole new um, uh, category of importance, the lives of women. I think it was really something she pursued because it was her life and because it was interesting to her. I, you know, and, and what followed from that surprised her. Um, and, and, I, and I believe she expressed that surprise later on in her life.
0: It, it was interesting. Um, the way that you've structured the book, because you first read the stories and then the essays, and the essays are really interesting in terms of, I think, helping one to understand some of the stories. Oh, that's
1: interesting to hear, yeah.
0: What I'm sorry that,
1: what I regret is that we didn't, um, we didn't really give the information that some of those essays were Mm speeches so they're not really written and you know they're just sort of um you know you know bare bones for her to talk um they weren't edited or you know revised or anything and i I wish that i had said that but i didn't even occur to me at the time
0: i think it was clear in reading them if i may (laughs) yeah clear yeah (laughs) yeah um that in in different Essays that she was addressing yeah. an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah.
1: That's Comforting.
0: So she, um, she must yeah. have been a where she I imagine was a very keen observer because the way that the stories read in terms of dialogue and even the way that they're treated in terms of presentation it's uh, it's a bit unconventional. Um, I think that's okay to say. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I. Felt as though, sort of, it was just amazing how she could inhabit those different characters and the voice, and even present, a, a, for me, a sort of visual presentation of where we were. Um, and I, again, I wondered what that was like. Growing up, did you did you sense that keen observation, that ability to get A person's voice or just to be to bring the reader into the midst of the story as it were
1: yeah well growing up um, of course walking around the streets with one's mother I was just very annoyed that she was stopping to talk to so many people (laughs) you know it was just you know I remember pulling on her skirt those long full skirts of the 50s to to go but but in terms of what else you're asking um, Yes, I did. Um, my mother was really th- the main thing is that she was really interested in people. I mean, what I'm answering is what it was like in life, mm-hmm. you know, not in terms of her work. She, you know, she was really interested in people. And as a child, maybe I confused that with just like that's what mothers were. You know, they're so selfless. Right. You know, so as a child, I think that's that's what I I thought. Later on, um, you know, as I grew up, I could see. Yes she was a very keen listener and she was she was just um, um she i think what i'm what I've experienced since she died for instance, is there are so many people who feel that they were her closest person i wouldn't i don't i hesitated to say friend but either mm-hmm. associate or you know work people or or even friends that And I I don't think she was deceiving them. I think, you know, I've thought about this recently. I think it was really a product of how much attention she gave to people in terms of um, receiving them and listening to them.
0: I think it's how she must have been able to present these and build these characters in such a way that you felt they were real. Uh Uh-huh. And they just, there was a depth to all of them the other thing that i was curious about is um so many of the characters reappear from story to story yeah and in some you know they have uh, you know they may have a different kind of a a voice or presence in the piece i wondered if you could talk a little bit about that what your thoughts are on how that construction worked
1: well are you talking about faith
0: yeah mostly faith and i yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, well, Faith, you know, in my mind, came a little bit later,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as you know, as a vehicle for for my mother to, to tell these stories. And um, that woman who, there was actually a woman across the street from us named Faith, who my mother liked. But, you know, but it isn't her, it, but it, something about her, um, I think she was a little younger than my mother. Um, something about her sort of sparked this idea, although the character is nothing like her character may be a little bit more like my mother than like that woman um but i i yeah i think um i think it's something about about time you know using the same character to go through different um experience in life it's a sort of a vehicle to move through time in a way it seems to me and it and it is also very much part of her and the other and the other women, her associate mothers, you know, that that um that were her friends in that neighborhood, because most of the faith work takes place, which is still in New York.
0: And, and it feels like it's so representative of a generation.
1: Yes, but yeah, I agree
0: with. that. I mean, it's just a moment in time. Again, where yeah, she was a participant but she was also this amazing storyteller and observer. You know, it's interesting, in one of the essays um, where she was writing about uh, being in jail for six weeks, um, great piece, and she's suddenly, I don't know if I want to say panic-stricken, but realizes she doesn't have a pen and a piece (laughs) of paper, and she has to rely on memory, which obviously for her was a challenge, and yet, you would think, oh, my gosh, but she has such a great way of retelling stories or situations. But I guess that was uh, an extension of who she was, was to always be able to write these things down.
1: She, Yeah, she always told me to always have a little notebook. And whenever we were in a store that had such things, she, I mean, after she died, I can't tell you how many little notebooks I found. And most of them just had either one page or one sentence in them. So she kept um, kept buying all different kinds of little spiral notebooks <laughs> and, writing, sort of, and writing one sentence down. I don't know if she ever saw those sentences again, or they were a way of of you know emphasizing her memory so that she could recall it more it, clearly later.
0: Right. I mean, sometimes writing down commits to memory.
1: Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I don't know which it is. You know, I. <laughs> Like when I find these little spiral notebooks, I have to flip through every single page to make sure there's not some wonderful thing, you know, in the middle somewhere.
0: So. <laughs> right, something that might be lost. I yeah. So, so it, I
1: mean, it, it's interesting to me because I, you know, there's all this talk now with kids, including my, about um, ADD. You know, this kind of thing. Cause, and I only bring this up because, I mean, luckily my mother escaped that. <laughs> Um, that diagnosis, because it came up after her, but she had that kind of attention. Every distractibility—that's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. She had huge distractibility, and growing up, I thought that was good. I thought that was the way to be. That that's the way an artist is, and it gave me a way to enjoy my own mind. Like I loved the way it wandered, and and I felt I feel that I was taught that by her, and it is the way she worked. And and I feel defensive about it now. I feel like, it, you know, when uh, many people have talked about how disorganized she was, who knew her, you know, where's this thing, where's that thing, and when I say thing, I'm talking about pieces of writing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think of it as a different kind of organization, sort of, um, um, because until she was quite old and sick, she could retrieve everything. Things were in many different places, and she knew where they were. Um, And so I bring this up because I think it's the way she worked, you know, that she was Mm -hmm. always, you know, like uh, sometimes in the New York Times reviews or elsewhere, they've talked about, well, if she hadn't been so politically active, she would have put out more work. But, But the fact is she was working all the time. Like, for instance, her husband, Bob Nichols, my stepfather, was very disciplined and had a very rigid schedule for himself as a writer and for other things he did. And he was always um, wanting her to do that. Now, Grace, you should do this at this time and this at that. He was trying to get her to work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he really got that, or maybe he did. But um, she was working every minute. You know that this it was um, really her life as a, her life was her life as a writer and it was going on all the time not just when she was sitting in front of her typewriter uh, i
0: i th- i mean i personally would say i can believe that that's the case because i don't think that you could build the stories with the dimension that they have um and the seamlessness that they have without having been comp- yeah completely immersed and present and observing all of that um i also I have always thought that women, by nature, have to be more sort yes. of horizontal because you're dealing absolutely. with so you know everything, you, everything simultaneously, <laughs> right. and um, yeah, without sounding strident here, but that that um, for men sometimes things is mu- are much more vertical. Why it's easier for them oh, to absolutely. yeah,
1: to do I, I to do certain things. Agree with that. Yeah.
0: Um, what was it like to work on building this collection? Did you just, did your mother know that you were going to do this?
1: No. No, my mother died in O seven. Mm-hmm. And um I this collection really was uh inspired by my co editor Kevin Bowen who was the head of the Joyner Center in Boston, which is um which are vets who are writing Vietnamese vets and American vets and now there are Iraqi vets, but there's some really great writers there and they have um they have these classes in June that my mother and Bob, her husband, used to go down and teach every year. And I didn't know these people. It, uh, but she would always say, you should meet them. They're really great, wonderful, wonderful people. And um, maybe I had just met them for a minute, but nothing special. And so it wasn't until after she died um, that I got to know Kevin Bowen. Um, and he was really instrumental in having these, Birthday celebrations for her posthumously, where you know people would read her work, in, in came around Cambridge, and um, I went to not all of them, but a few of them, and then he came up with this idea, and at first I didn't see the reason for it. Um, uh, I mean, it's not something I would have thought of to put it because I thought, well, you know, people can go to her books, but this idea of of um, bringing it back into the air again it's just um, it's just been wonderful for me as well as I think the world but I'm very happy about it but I, it really was his idea not mine and once I was working on it you know I i felt very positive about it our first idea well, was um, to have well what I was thinking was to have people she worked with writers she had worked with either politically or in terms of of writing, uh, write a sentence or two above a piece of work that they especially liked, and Ursula Le Guin was going to do that, and we were going to get, you know, I was going to ask Toni Morrison, who she did a lot of politics with, and you know, other writers, just because all those people are are older now, and I just I thought it would be a historical document in that way, um, but but strauss just didn't didn 't like that idea, they thought that um, it was propping her up they said she doesn 't need she was a great writer she doesn 't need these other writers to prop her up, which was not my intention at all, all right. but um and i'm and i 'm happy with it the way it, the way it is, but i 'd still kind of like to do something like that you know quickly while everybody 's mm-hmm. around because already um, we 've lost some of her really wonderful friends uh, Who I would have loved to um, have participate.
0: It's always, I think, hard to be the child of a writer and to necessarily appreciate that in your parent when you're with that parent. Um, I wonder if that was the case. Did you read your mother's work during her lifetime um, in the same way?
1: Um, I did read her work. You know, I mean, she. You know, I was an adult, Mm -hmm. so uh, you know, I did read her work. And um, I, I, I just thought that being a writer was a normal thing that parents did, mm-hmm. you know, just you know, no matter what your parents do, it's normalized in, in a way. So, I, you know, I didn't experience it as being hard, particularly.
0: And I wanted to read one other passage, which I thought was really interesting, if I may. Sure. It's in an essay of poetry and women and the world, and it was written in 1986. And maybe this again was one that was delivered in front of an audience. Uh And she writes, I'm tired of some of these books that I'm reading. Some of them are nice, and some of them are exciting. But really, I've read about this stuff already. And who's this guy, Henry Miller? You know, big deal. He's not talking to me. My life's not going to get a lot sexier on account of him. He is, no question about it, Mm, maybe. So luckily, I began to understand it. It was just luck or pride or something like that, or just not being able to accept slurs at myself or my people, women, Jews, or even whatever. Even in Shakespeare, it always hurts my feelings. So I didn't really know that's that what I was going to do, but it's what I set out to do, and I did it. And I said, yes, those lives are what I want to add to the balance of human experience. I wonder if you can comment on this.
1: Yeah. Um well she began to she was incredibly um really faithful and her energy was with these with the women that um w- as I said earlier the mothers that uh that I grew up around and then later the women that she did politics with. Um and then you know the women's movement in the 70s my mother would always say people say that nothing happened they talk about the sixties and they talk about the seventies nothing happened and that's because of the women's movement is what happened um and she um she was completely committed to the li- lives of women lives of mothers and really the lives of children um with absolutely no real animosity towards the fathers you know in, in a general way. Um, it's interesting because there's been some comment. of uh, one particular person, Vivian Gornick, uh, was saying that Grace Paley is not a feminist. She says this in a movie, and she said it in a panel that I was on with her recently. And um, it's ridiculous, you know? I mean, it's it, it's ridiculous. She was so much... She was such a woman... Appreciating woman and um, and found her her life and her work among women. So uh, I think that 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 sort of narrow remark of Vivian's came out of my mother's non-rejection of men. You know, that's all mm-hmm. I can say that it came out of. Um, because during my young adulthood, uh, she was was very involved and. Uh, in both, you know, political and social issues regarding women.
0: Yeah, and again, I think that she chronicled a time um, that women, you know, the lives of women at a very important time. And so, yeah, so beautifully, not with one slant or another. I wonder if there is one story, poem, essay in the collection that particularly resonates for you.
1: Um, Well, Yes, the, you know, that changes all the time for me. Mm-hmm. I a the book right in front of me. Um, you know, it, it's, that's an interesting question, because it does change all the time for me. Um, you know, I, I love conversations with my father. Um, I mean, I you know, I love all of it, but... Right. Um, so it's really hard. There's one poem that has sort of grabbed me recently, but it's, it's not an easy poem to hear. I think it has to be read because it's so short. I, I I feel that poems need to be read twice because mm-hmm. it takes, it's so hard to absorb them. Um, let me see. I'm just quickly looking through. Um, I have. Well, I will say that you know we've been doing these little book launch things. Not too many of them. A couple. And I've been reading the story Traveling. Um, I read the story Traveling in Brooklyn, and I read it again here just last week. We had one in our local bookstore, and I read it in Boston. And I you know, was thinking about, why is that? You know, since, since, as I said, I do love so much of the work. And it's because of our time, the time that has been given to us now that we're struggling with. And it's also because of my children, who are African-American. Um, and traveling is a story. I don't know if you do you know it at all. Or should I say what
0: it is? Yeah. Go, why don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's a story that,
1: that starts out with her, her mother and sister. Her sister was like 15 years older than she was, so, so my mother must have been four at the time or something, uh, are going to visit her brother, who's in medical school in the South. And they experience um, segregation on the bus. And then, and the story goes through that time and brings it into her young adulthood when she's going to meet my father in Florida, because um, he's on an army base during World War II. And it, it's all woven together with my son as an infant. Um, uh, I mean, I'm trying not to, to paraphrase the story too much because it's that would wreck it. But oh, right. um, um, but anyway, the first time that I read it, I was I just I was surprised. Um, I was sort of ambushed by I I thought I was going to start crying, and I didn't know if I could finish reading the story. And I I knew my daughter was there um, in the audience, and. Um, And each time I read it, it was a little easier to read. But I I was kind of surprised by how emotional, you know, how present my emotions were in that story. So I would say that's the one that I've been reading. I might be done reading it because I've done it three times. (laughs) But there are so many, you know, and that's why I'm saying this. I would move on to something else probably. Um, Yeah, I guess I read the Women's Pentagon unity statement, you know, oh, that, that yeah. because it's so appropriate for the moment,
0: Yeah.
1: you know, and midrash and happiness.
0: I think you can drop in on all of these works and take some, yes, something timely away and also um, set you on a different path.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, so I just was still scanning for that poem, it's so tiny, I can't find.
0: it. Oh.
1: <laughs> oh, maybe here it is okay i'm reading this poem it's very short and it's um uh, you know it it goes it cuts very deep into me as, in, in, a, in a personal way you know i in, in terms of of my mother's life and who um who she is and was at the end of her you know her her relation to life at the very end okay it's called Definition. My descent is cheer, a thankless disposition. First, as the morning star, my ambition, good luck. And why not a flight over the wide dilemma and then good night to sad forever?
0: It's quite affecting. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if it communicated. No, um, yeah. It has the strength of a woman's voice that um, reminds me of my mother.
1: Oh interesting,
0: yeah, but anyway, that's a whole other discussion.
1: yeah,
0: it is. Um, so I'm going to ask you one last quick question if I may. Sure. Um, sure. what what would you like readers to take away from the collection? Um,
1: um, I think how how really enormous her love of life was that she loved every bit of life. Um, And I I will say as an aside, she was interested in everything. Um, She once asked the dentist not to use Novocaine because she wanted to know what it really felt like. (laughs) So I'm talking on that level, too. (laughs) And I couldn't believe it when she came home. I was like, are you crazy? (laughs) Anyway, I would like them to take away her, her, her enormous interest in life, which is also the name of a story and um, an interest in life, um, and, um, and also the idea that life doesn't have to be, that we don't have to live our lives in a compartmentalized way, that we can be responsible and responsive to what's going on in our times and, um, and be parents and artists as well.
0: So, Nora, I, I said I would only ask you one more question, and I was yeah. lying. I'm going to ask you <laughs> an additional question. Okay. Um, how do you think that your mother's Jewishness figured into her writing? Okay. My mother
1: loved being Jewish, um, and she came from a family that was not religious. Oh Well, her, her, um, her parents were not religious. They were socialists, and they were modern Russian Jewish youth. But her grandmother, who lived with her, who I never met, um, was religious, and my mother used to walk her to shul, um, and um, I, I, I really she taught me that. I think that I might have mentioned some of this earlier that that Judaism was, you know, really a um, a way of being in the world that meant being responsible and um, um, and moral. Um, and so when I found out about, the, you know, about the, the slurs against Jews being about stinginess, I was, like, completely shocked by that as a child, because the Jews that I knew were the most generous people ever, you know, way more generous than any non-Jewish families that I was friends with at the time. So I think, and and historically, she, she used to, actually, I, I say that I didn't know much about the religion, but... Uh, my mother used to read us the Bible all the time we, we um, you know it was one of the, the books that she read to, it, my brother and myself um, so so we knew we knew a little bit about the Old Testament anyway um, um, I, I this is maybe slightly off uh, answer, but uh, a student of hers uh, named Jerry Alborelli, who's also a really good writer. Um, just recently told me that when he was 19 years old, he asked her if she believed in God, and she said, he said she thought about it, and then she said, I believe in adventure. And so I I just heard that recently, so that's been in my mind, thinking about that. But um, going back to Judaism... (coughs) um, Let's see. We we um, we didn't celebrate. Well, we we went to we had um, seder's every Passover that we went to with my with my grandfather and then with my uncle and then just on our own. And my children, um, particularly my daughter, went to Hebrew school because it was totally her choice. Um, and my mother and I were very pleased about that because we felt we could be. More educated <laughs> about particulars that we didn't know, um, uh, um, and um, let's see. Anyway, she she always identified as 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 a Jewish person, and um, and that's sort of how we how we lived in the world.
0: And her activism, I would imagine, you could say, was informed by her Jewishness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, her she had an uncle who was shot in Russia when he was 16, and that was a very big part of my growing up, that, you know, who she didn't know, but her grandmother, Babishka, was always sad and always, and didn't learn English, just spoke Russian and Yiddish, um, and um, and she would always say, I don't know, you know, why are they complaining about about my grandmother? You know, she had to carry her her son home, his body home after he was shot. He was shot in a demonstration, and so all of her relatives used to say, "Gracie, don't carry the flag. Don't carry the flag." They were always worried about that because that's when he was shot. Mm. Um, and um, but yeah, activism was normal. You know, it was just uh, it, it was a way of being responsible. You know, and uh, that's that's what I thought. I mean. There were times when I was terrified in the 60s where my mother, who was quite short, like 5'1 or something, put her arms out to stop these guys with helmets and bats who were going to rush into a demonstration. I think they were particularly going to beat up some puppets, some paper but it wasn't clear who they were going to hit. And she just put her arms out horizontally to stop them. And I almost passed out. I think I was about 15 at the time. But they stopped. So she was very brave. Um, and um,
0: and all of that
1: I associated with her, Juda- her Judaism, her relationship to Judaism.
0: And she seemed to embrace her parents and extended family as well, in terms of getting their cadence into her writing.
1: Yeah, yeah, they, they all lived together. Um, you know, my grandfather arrived as a 19-year-old, and um, he had sisters, and, um, and then his mother, and, and all the women went out to work um, and put him through medical school. <clears throat> I guess he got a high school equivalency, and I don't know how he did this, but they all worked in, you know, in factories and put him through medical school, and then he supported everybody. So there was this large extended family um, and he was, like, the neighborhood doctor and had an office in the house and did house calls. Um, so she grew up with a lot of noise and, and arguing, just constant arguing. Uh, that's another thing that I associate with, mm-hmm. with Um, Nobody agreed. Everyone was, you know, she had a, a, an anarchist, a communist, a socialist, all at the dinner table. So everyone was fighting all the time. Um, they were pretty close Um, but so she she, I think you know she really developed her ear as a child listening to all this and also also she was the youngest by far so by the time she was born they were no longer impoverished Uh, her sister and brother grew up in a totally different household they grew up the children of very young immigrants who were learning English and she grew up in a doctor's house you know so she had a more Um, the luxury to listen and you know and that maybe the women weren't quite as busy in the you know they were in the kitchen they weren't in the shop
0: but but she seems to embrace it all with a sense of acceptance of every of all these different situations and appreciation of them um, and acts as sort of this navigator it it feels between all of these different worlds um, but does so with great i think it's safe to say respect
1: yeah yeah she yeah i I, yeah i think that's absolutely true it's almost like you know her taking in um, of the world is it has a a very sort of zen quality to it i mean she really did what you're saying she really accepted what was going on um, pretty much without editing you know Mm -hmm. it really took took in the moment um Yeah, and absolutely respectful. Um, Great. Yeah. I think one of the assignments she gives is is to write from the point of view of somebody that you disagree with or that you don't like or have some problem with.
0: Interesting. It makes us more sympathetic to them, I would imagine. Wait, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. I said that seems like it's a way to make somebody more sympathetic or at least uh, to give them the benefit of understanding.
1: Yeah, to understand them yeah. or to hear them better. So.
0: Yeah. All right. Well again, thanks, Nora. This is wonderful. Um and a delight to speak with you and hope to have you here to the center sometime soon.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to come.
0: Great. Okay. Um, well stay in touch and thanks again. Take care. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye bye.
1: You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexis Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.